0: We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. Well, good morning, Emmaus. It is good to see you today. My name is Joshua. I'm one of the pastors here at Emmaus. It's great to have you with us. If you have children that are K through 2nd and they've been checked in, you're free to dismiss them now. If you've not checked them in, you could follow them and you can check them in there. Um, And then parents, remember when you go to pick up your children, you'll need your sticker with your number matching their number. Make sure you get the right kid when you go home and help us out uh, with those stickers. We appreciate that. Hey, if you're a guest, we're glad that you're here, glad that you got to join us today, and glad that we had the honor of, of worshiping with you. We um, pray that when you leave here today, you would know Jesus's love for you. We'd love to connect you in some, with, with you in some way. We could do that in various ways. You could go to the um, QR code that'll be on the screen behind me, or to EmmausKC.com um, forward slash connect. You can fill out a connect card there and you can um, get more information about us there. You could go to the Connect table in the lobby and do the same process of filling out a Connect card there. And also, I would love to meet you. I'll be down front here after the service, so I'd love to, to shake your hand, hear your um, name, uh, get to know how you came here, um, even pray with you if you would like. And so come by and say hello, um, but we're glad that you're with us today. Uh, members, we've got a couple things for you to know about, a couple announcements uh, for you. First of all, today is the second Trinity Church um, information meeting. Uh, and so Trinity Church is a church that we are looking to plant out of us, Easter of 23, and they're building their core group now. And so tonight at six o'clock on the Nelson Atkins um, lawn, they're having a gathering, a Gathering, uh, kind of a bring your own lunch, uh, picnic uh, picnic dinner, I guess that's dinner time, bring your own picnic dinner, um, fellowship, learn about the vision, ask questions, get to know the team, and that sort of thing. So if you're interested in that, join them 6 o'clock on the Nelson Atkins lawn with your picnic dinner. And then also, um, we're going back to two services, not next week, but the following week, August the 7th. August 7th, we go back to two services, but there's a catch. Right, if you've been with us a long time, you're going to have to, to listen. And there, there's a catch. We're moving the services up 15 minutes, right? So um, I won't tell you the old times because I don't want to get different times in your head. The new times are 8.45 and 10.30, all right? 8.45 and 10.30. We're moving them up 15 minutes to give more time after the second service for people to fellowship and not have to be, you know, rushed out of here like cattle. Um, and for our team to be able to get things torn down. And so for your fellowship, for our teams, we're just kind of moving those up 15 minutes that way. 8.45 and 10.30 starting on August the 7th. And then church, on August the 14th, Um, That afternoon, there's going to be a church-wide back-to-school picnic, and so details will be coming out to you and announcements about that, but plan um, that afternoon of the 14th uh, to come join us uh, for food, um, for fellowship, and just spend a day with us at a park, uh, spend at least a few hours with us there, so we're looking forward to that as well. Hey, I want us to pray, and as we pray today, I want us to pray for ourselves, uh, but then I also want us to pray for um, the Arcos. The Arcos are a church-planting couple that we have um, supported and prayed for and gone and, and helped in northern Italy for a number of years now, uh, and uh, in summer times where they're at are really difficult, like they are in most churches. We're down in attendance, that's why we're in one service, but, but their church reaches Um, the the least of the least, the the, the prostitutes and the gypsies and the um, the drug addicts in the projects of Genoa, Italy. And and in the summertime, they just find that even those who have um, come in as members begin to just dwindle off and maybe go back to their old habits and their ways. It's kind of an annual thing. And they're just asking us to pray for their church members, those who have claimed faith in Christ, to be sustained in the Spirit through what is annually a season of temptation for them to run away, all right? And so let's pray with them for that now, and then we'll pray for ourselves, and we'll dive into Acts chapter 13. And Jesus, we thank you for your grace to us and for your bringing us here together to worship you and to um, gather and to, to sing and to confess. What a joy and what a privilege. May we not take this moment for granted this morning. Father, thank you for the words that we've sung declaring your faithfulness and your goodness, your love for us. And we thank you for the confession that we've said. In a moment, we need you to speak to us through your word. Uh, Would you bring your word to light in our minds and in our hearts? Would you remove barriers? And would you remove resentment? And would you remove our resistance to it? And would you give us openness to receive and to learn and to be encouraged and to be corrected by your scriptures? Spirit, we need to hear a better sermon than I have prepared, so preach to us today. And then we ask you to be with our brother and sister, Francesco and Claudia, in Genoa, Italy. Father, would you be with them as they minister um, to the least of these, uh, to to those that their city um, called the, the trash. Father, would you be with them as they share the gospel and as they display the gospel by feeding hundreds every week. Would you be with them as they teach Um, and and teach people to read and as they care for the sick, and would you be with them as they disciple the new believers? Uh, The new believers who are so fragile in their faith and still run like we do, um, who are prone to run so often back to our sinfulness. So would you sustain and would you give strength to their church in the coming weeks and days? We pray these things in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 13. We're continuing our journey through the book of Acts. Uh, we'll be done right at the time of Advent. We'll do our Advent series. And then next year, we've got several shorter, um, but s- several really good series that I'm looking forward to. We'll be spending time in the, the Psalms of Ascent. We'll be spending time in the Sermon on the Mount. We will be um, spending time in a couple of other areas, really looking forward to that next year. But we've got 19 weeks left in Acts. We're continuing chapter 13 here we left off last week as Paul and Barnabas and John Mark have been sent out by the church at Antioch. They've gone, to, um, uh, they've gone out on, on their mission, um, and, and as they are there on their mission, they've proclaimed the gospel in Paphos. They've been rejected by Bar-Jesus. They've been, had opposition, and Paul actually stands up and he speaks to Bar-Jesus, and he, he silences his opposition to the gospel. He corrects him and he rebukes him. And then God strikes Bar Jesus blind. And the proconsul believes. He sees the gospel displayed and he sees the gospel declared and he believes the gospel. In today's passage, they move on from here. In today's passage, they, they move on from Paphos to another city called Antioch in another region. But as they go on, some things change and some things remain the same for them. It's a large text a text with so many points that we couldn't really um, land on all of them with detail if we wanted to, not in the amount of time that we have here today. In this text, we we see abandonment from friends and ministry partners. We see a preaching of the gospel. We see a pleading for salvation in Jesus. We see a history of the Israelites. We see a, a rejoicing in the gospel from the Gentiles, and we see an opposition to the gospel from the Jews. We see a joy fill Barnabas and Paul as they leave here. But the theme that we wanna see, the overarching theme that we wanna see in this passage today is that God is faithful to his own. He's faithful to his own, to his people whom he has saved, he has been, he is, and he will be faithful. We see this throughout this passage, and so let's break it down and look at it. Verses 13 through 15, chapter 13, verses 13 through 15. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and they came to Perga in Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down and after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So they're in Paphos and they leave. And if you remember last week when they were sent out from Antioch, they were sent out as a team and this team was made up of Barnabas, Paul, and John Mark. Perhaps others are with them, but it was Barnabas, Paul, and John Mark. And the feeling we get from last week when we see is Barnabas is actually the leader of this group at this time. And they're sent out, but something has changed between the time they've sent out from Antioch to this moment where they're leaving Paphos and now Paul is the leader. Right? There's been a regime change, and a new, a new leader of this group has risen, and when they leave, one of their members doesn't go with them. His name's John Mark. If you remember back, um, in, back in, in chapters before, John Mark's um, mother, is, it, it was her house that when Peter gets freed from prison, um, and, and he flees in the middle of the night, and he comes to the house, and he knocks on the door, and the servant girl won't let him in, right? It's John Mark's mom's house that he's knocking at. John Mark is Barnabas's nephew, and he's come along with them on this mission. He's been a part of what has happened, but now as they go on, he doesn't go with them. And it doesn't tell us any more than that. We don't understand why. We don't know what the reasoning is, and, and we don't really know the outcome of that at this moment. But in a few weeks, we'll be in chapter 15. And in chapter 15, it gives us more insight, not to the reasoning that he left, but to the effects of his leaving. In chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas decide to go back to all the cities they've been to and to do a checkup. They want to go back and they want to encourage the new believers, check on the churches. And when they want to do this, Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. Let's call for him. Let's send for him. Let him come with us and we'll go back and visit them. And Paul won't have anything to do with it. He wants nothing to do with John Mark going with them to these other cities because John Mark abandoned them in the mission. So for some reason, John Mark bails on the team, on the relationships, and on the mission of God. And then later in chapter 15, Paul's like, I'm not inviting him back to my team. And it becomes such a heated argument. It actually says um, that that it was this heated argument to such a degree that Paul and Barnabas have to separate. Paul and Barnabas get in a, a fight with each other over this. Such a disagreement that they can't do ministry together and they go their separate ways. John Mark goes with Barnabas, and Silas goes with Paul. And so the first thing that we want to see in this passage is that God is faithful to us even when others are not. That God is faithful to us even when others are not. Some believe that John Mark quit on them, that he abandoned them because the journey ahead looked too dangerous. Perhaps he abandoned them because of the opposition and he couldn't stand in the face of it anymore. Perhaps it was because of the leadership change, right? He's he's Barnabas' nephew, and though Barnabas seems to be okay with Paul being in charge, perhaps John Mark's not okay with Paul being in charge. And he's like, hey, new leadership, I'm out. This wasn't what I signed up for. Perhaps he's just homesick, weary, tired. He just wants something different. We understand he's probably about 22. Perhaps he's just like, eh, we'll go a different direction. Still trying to figure out life. What am I looking for? And for whatever reason, Paul feels so abandoned by him or hurt by him that he won't let him come back into the mission. Even when John Mark did this, even when he ran out on Paul and the mission, God was still faithful. And some of us have been hurt by people. Or we've had people abandon us and leave us, neglect us, fail us, forget us, betray us, and it hurts. It hurts to have that done. I had a text message from a pastor yesterday who said, hey, I, will you pray for me? I just got a text message from a couple in our church, one of my favorite couples in our church, and they invited us over for, for a meal today. And like, I'm having some pastoral PTSD because maybe they just want a meal. But I've also had couples do this and then tell us all the reasons they're leaving our church. And my heart feels afraid of this. It turns out he went, he had a meal, and it was just for fun. But I can tell you, I've had that same feeling over and over and over again. It's why if you message me and go, hey, could we talk? I'm going to say, about what? <laughs> because I want to remove the enemy's temptation in my heart, right? To fear and to struggle and to worry. Perhaps that's where Paul was, and perhaps that's where you've been. You've been hurt, you've been betrayed, and some sense of a PTSD in relationships, because people have been unfaithful to you. But God's not unfaithful when others are. But not only is God not unfaithful to you when others are unfaithful to you, God's also, um, he's not unfaithful to you when you're unfaithful to him. Right, Paul wasn't the only one who got to witness God's faithfulness here. So was John Mark. Because John Mark abandons the mission, but later, God pulls him back in. God brings him back and goes, hey, Paul might be done with you, but I'm not. Paul might be done with you, John Mark, but I'm not done with you. There's more to do. Let's go. And John Mark comes back and is a major player in the gospel spreading across the globe. The mission goes on. Last week, we quoted Charles Wesley, who said this, God buries his workmen, but continues his work. God buries his workmen, but he continues his work. And yes, that refers to his workmen dying. Someday I will die, but the mission of God will not die. The church will go on, right? But it also applies to those of us who, who quit. When we're disqualified, when we fail, when we abandon, when we run away, when we're just too tired to do anymore, when the workman is put under for whatever reason, God's work does not cease. He's faithful To you when others are not. He's faithful to you when you are not faithful, and he's faithful to his mission no matter what. Verse 16 through 41. This is a longer portion. We're not gonna read the whole thing at one time. We're gonna break it apart in a little bit smaller pieces as we go through it. But in 16 through 41, we have Paul's first recorded sermon. We've already seen in the book of Acts, Peter's first recorded sermon, back in Acts chapter 2, this sermon's very similar to that. Paul's going to start the gospel, he's going to proclaim the gospel, and he doesn't start the gospel with Jesus. He will start the gospel all the way back with the Old Testament, with God's faithfulness to call Abraham and the people of Israel and his faithfulness to them throughout we're going to see through verses 16 through 41 in Paul's sermon that God is faithful and we're not. We're gonna elaborate on what we just said. Verse 16 through 25. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt and with uplifted arm With uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel a prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king. No, but behold, after me one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. So without John Mark, they go on on mission, and they come into the synagogue, which was Paul's practice. Remember that Paul was a Pharisee, and so he comes in the synagogue. He's he's a known man. He's a known leader in the Jewish religion. And they come in and they sit and they listen as the leaders of the synagogue are teaching and reading the scriptures and then they send message to him, hey, would you like to say anything today? Like, would you like to be a guest speaker? Do you have any word of encouragement for us today? And they had no idea what they were getting themselves into. Paul stands up and takes the opportunity to begin preaching the gospel. And he begins with the history of Israel, but it's a history of God's faithfulness to Israel. He recounts God's faithfulness. And I want us to pay attention. I want us to notice in this all of the actions of God and the actions of his people as we look through this. The actions of God and the actions of his people. In verse 17, it says God chose his people, right? They didn't choose him and they didn't do anything to earn the choosing. God chose them. He comes to Abraham before Abraham was coming to God and he said, you, you. I want you and I want your offspring. This is who I'm making a nation after. God chose his people. We see in verse 17 that God made his people great when in Egypt. If you remember the history of the people, that God calls them and he begins to be faithful to them through through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, but Joseph through famine goes to Egypt. He's sold into slavery in Egypt and through famine his family comes, but they're in Egypt as slaves of Pharaoh. Laboring in labor camps, treated cruelly and poorly, used and abused as slaves, God makes them great. They're in their darkest place, in the darkest moments of their life, God builds them, and God strengthens them. God made them great. They didn't make themselves great. In verse 17, it then says, "God led them out of captivity." Right? They didn't get themselves out of captivity. God led them out of captivity. In verse 18, it says, God put up with them, right? which I know sounds really negative. Right, You have to put up with certain people in life. Right? There's that friend in your circle. There's that child. There's that person at work, and you're just like, it's just part of my lot. I have to put up with them. Right, the sense we get here is that God is not putting up with us because he's, like, burdened by us, the sense of he's just like, gosh, what did I get myself into? Like, I chose them, and I wish I hadn't have chosen them. The, the idea is he doesn't leave. As the people of Israel are in the wilderness... As they are doubting and they are leaving and they are disobeying and they're making golden calves out of their jewelry and worshiping them. As they're telling God after he's freed them from bondage for 400 years, they're saying it was better in slavery than with you in the desert. In the midst of the rebellion of his people and the doubt of his people, he didn't leave them. He stayed with them. He put up with them. Verse 19, it says, God destroyed seven nations. God destroyed seven nations who opposed his people, and he gave his people the land that he had promised them. If you remember the journey through um, the, the wilderness for the people of Israel, there was nation after nation that they had to come against and fight. He doesn't say they fought them and destroyed them. He says, God did this on behalf of them. Do you remember the one fight God did not go before them? There's a fight God doesn't go before his people. When he doesn't go before his people, they get their tails kicked. Thousands die and they come back bleeding and bruised and they have to find out their sin in the camp. God's blessing is not with us. God destroyed the enemies before them to give them the land he had promised them. And Paul says, and guys, all of that took place over 450 years of his faithfulness, but let's keep going. Let's keep going. Then God gave them judges and prophets, right? In verse 20, he gave them judges and prophets, men and women to speak on behalf of them, men and women to come before God, hear from God, and speak to the people the words of God. He gave them people to correct them of their sins, to lead them back to righteousness, and he did this again and again for their purpose and the reason, the reason he had to do this is because his people kept leaving him, Israel kept leaving God. They kept going to idols. They kept running to other nations. They kept abandoning their faith and going back to their sinful ways. They'd find themselves in bondage and God would come rescue them through judges and prophets that he provided for them. In verse 21 through 22, he gave them a king. And then he removed that king after 40 years. That king is Saul. Saul. And if you remember, God gives them Saul, not because it was God's plan, but because the people begged him for a king. The people were tired of God being their king. They were tired of following God in God's way, and they said, we wanna be like everyone else in the world. Make us more like them, we wanna fit in with them, we want to have their form of leadership. So God gives them a king, and things go bad. He removes that king, Saul, after 40 years. And when he removed Saul, it says that he raised up, verse 22, David is a king. And David was a man after God's own heart, it says. A man who God knew would do his will. And ironically, if you remember this story, I mean, David doesn't do this will perfectly. David is an adulterer, perhaps a rapist. He is a murderer, and he's a terrible dad. He's not perfectly following. But we see in David a heart of repentance again and again. A heart that wonders, a heart that falls away, a heart that leaves, and a heart that returns. When corrected, he comes back in repentance. Verse 23, Paul tells us that from David's offspring, God brought Jesus, the Savior that he had promised would come. He skipped a lot here, from David to Jesus. Skipped the whole world of history. But he goes, David's this linchpin. point. There's David, and from David then came Jesus. And Jesus is the Savior, the promised Savior that we've been waiting for in your synagogues. You've been learning about him. You've been seeing his, his coming. As you read the scriptures, it's foretold about him. It's prophesied about him. And I'm telling you, it's Jesus. Don't miss it was. We're not still looking for him. Jesus has come. He is the promised one. He says, in fact, John the Baptist, the prophet that you accept, the, the, the famous prophet who has now come on the scene, the most recent prophet of the people of Israel, he says, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, I'm not the promised one. He is. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. I can't even touch his feet, the dirtiest part of him. I can't even get close to that so much more worthy than I am. Hear this. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then hear this. He chose you. He chose you. You didn't choose him, and you didn't do anything to earn him choosing you. Despite all of your rebellion, he chose you. He saved you. He wants you. You're not a burden that he is stuck with. He wanted you and came for you. And hear this. He is actively making you great. So what the text says, that the people of Israel, when in Egypt, he was making them great. What do I mean by that? He's actively sanctifying you, making you more like Jesus, healing you and restoring you and cleansing you. He is actively doing this in your life, even in the hard seasons even in the seasons of darkness and of pain and of sadness and of grief and of trauma, even in the hard, dark places, the places where, as Ben said, you see your sins all the more abounding, his grace is abounding more because it's constantly, even in those places, making you greater, making you more like Jesus. He has led you out of captivity He has led you out of captivity of sin. You did not break free from the chains of porn on your own. You did not sneak away from the pits of bitterness. You did not dodge the dungeons of pride. God has led you out. You are not a slave of sin, but of Christ, right? He has freed you from your sin if you're a follower of his. It has no chains on you. And he continues then to lead you into the freedom that you've already been given learning day after day through confession and repentance to walk more as a free person because you are a free person. And God puts up with you day after day, day after day. He doesn't leave you. You constantly wonder and you constantly blow it. You doubt him and you question him and you run from him and you face sin in front of him. At days, on on some days you're apathetic to him and you could care less about him. Some days you just want to go back to the old life, the old way, the old sin, and have nothing to do with the burdens you feel of following Christ, and he doesn't leave you. Some days you're just so broken that you wonder, why does anyone stay with me? And he doesn't leave you. And church, God fights for you, and he destroys your enemy. Right, he destroys your enemy. He's defeated death, and he will end death. He has defeated sin, and he will end sin. He has defeated Satan, and he will end Satan. He's greater. There are greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. For if God is for you, no one can stand against you. All right? We have this promise over and over again in Scripture that the enemies that stand in opposition of the children of God will not prevail. And hear me, like let's not, let's not slip into the prosperity gospel that our world wants to give us. That doesn't mean life's going to be good. Easy, without suffering. John the Baptist is beheaded. The apostles are killed. Many Christians throughout history have suffered great lengths because they're a Christian and despite being a Christian. But our hope is not primarily in this life. There is hope in this life. Christ is able to free us and to restore us and to give us joy and peace and rest in this life. He is able to do that. Let's hope in that. Let's ask for that. But our hope is not that if that happens, if that does not happen in this life, all is lost. Our hope is that after this life, we have eternal rest, eternal peace, a life after this with no opposition. God is faithful to his own. Paul continues his sermon verses 26 through 41. And he continues his sermon by showing us how God is faithful, to, particularly to save through Jesus. So let's look at 26 through 41. Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of his salvation. For those who he has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and the sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says, he also says in another Psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid in his fa- and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. So Paul now goes to Jesus, the promised Savior, and he spends time for us explaining how Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises, but also how the rejection of the Jews was the very means by which God would be faithful to save through Jesus. He says, it was promised to you that the Savior would come and that he must suffer and that he must die, and when he came, you rejected him. And guess what you did? You killed him. You heard the scriptures read to you every week in Sabbath. You listen to this all the time. You know this, it's been taught to you and you still didn't see it when it came in front of you. But your very resistance to it, your very rebellion to it, your very stubborn headedness towards this is what God used to be faithful to his promise. You killing and rejecting Jesus is how God brings about salvation for all people. So even in your rebellion, God is faithful. God is faithful. And then he tells us that the reason that Jesus is the one in whom our sins can be forgiven is because Jesus is the only one who has not died and remained dead. He's the one who has not seen corruption as it was prophesied. David saw corruption, he died, he was buried, his body decayed. Jesus rose people from the dead. Lazarus, the widow's son, the, centur- the Centurion's daughter he raised people from the dead but guess what happened they died again like later in life they die again and they they were dead but Christ was raised by God from the dead never to see corruption never to die again and because he's alive he can offer us forgiveness. he says he offers us complete forgiveness and healing, do you hear that word? Forgiveness and healing from all that the law could not offer for us, could not provide for us. In other words, for everything that you want to overcome and you've attempted to beat and you've tried to better, for everything that you've tried to rid yourself of that destroys you and bring into your life that helps you For all of the failure that that brings you, it can never accomplish what you want. And for all of that failure, only Jesus's life, death, and resurrection can actually offer healing and forgiveness. No matter how hard you've tried, you fail. But God did not fail, and Christ did not fail. We have forgiveness and healing. And then he warns them. Verse 40, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about beware. This is a stern plea. This is his warning at the end. This is, when we teach preachers here at Emmaus, those who are doing our pastoral residency, one of the things we have to tell them all the time is plead with us. Like what you said is true, but, but warn me. Beware me. Plead with me. And Paul's pleading here. Hear this, he says. Don't let this be true of you that the scripture said would be true. Don't be the one who scoffs at God. Don't be the one who scoffs at the Messiah. Don't be the one that scoffs at the destruction that is to come. And he quotes Habakkuk here when God speaks through Habakkuk and says, pay attention, be aware, I'm about to do something that you would not believe. And what he's about to do that they would not believe was he was going to use a more evil nation to come in and destroy them because of their sin to lead them back to repentance by bringing them to the bottom of the pit. Let me allow you to get to a place of so much destruction that you come back to me knowing I am the only one who's faithful. And so he says, don't scoff at this. There's destruction on the horizon for you. Because scriptures tell us there's one life to live and then what? The judgment. And all who die without Christ will face destruction, right? Eternity without the love and the grace of God in any realm of our world. He pleads with us, don't be the scoffer who misses out on the joy and the rest and the peace and the healing and the forgiveness of Christ. Don't miss the kingdom because you laugh at it, because you ignore it. Come, come to Jesus now and have life. So what happens? What is the response? Verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. What a beautiful passage, what a beautiful sentence. I can't wait till the day that I'm standing here and you're like, please come back and preach again next week. Never had any of you say that to me before, right? No one's been like, come preach to us again. I've had that in Africa in a village with this guy named Usman, who I told, basically went through the history of God's salvation and told it to him and he goes, tell me again, and I told him again, tell me again, tell me again, tell me again. Four or five times we went through creation to church. They longed to hear this. So what happens, verse 43? And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Right, So, so Paul teaches, This stirs up a great scene. People are begging him to come back and many of them start following him. Maybe some in true faith, maybe some out of curiosity, maybe some who are skeptics, but they're following him and Paul and Barnabas continue to encourage them, urge them to believe the gospel. Verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord they not just the synagogue, not just those who were there. they told everyone. They're gathering everyone. Almost the whole city comes out to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to, first to you, Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. The city comes out, they come out to hear, they preach the gospel again, and this time the Jews go, "Mm mm-mm, last week we were curious, we weren't quite sure where we were going with this, but this week, no. You're throwing away the law. You're throwing away our systems. You're throwing away um, holiness through the means that we have created. No, we are not okay with this. And they start to speak out against him. And Paul looks at them and says, we had to share the gospel with you first. You're God's chosen people, the Jews, the Israelites. But because of your rejection of Christ, now the gospel comes to the Gentiles. And this room happens to be full of Gentiles, and a great applause and celebration breaks out. I mean, imagine this scenario. It's as if I'm standing here preaching today, and Tyler and a few people over here stand up, and they start complaining about what I'm saying. And they're turning around to you and say, don't listen to him, what he's saying is wrong. He's leading you away. And they start to try to convince you that the gospel I'm proclaiming is not true. And I look at them and I go, hey, this gospel is no longer for you. I preached it to you, you could have responded, it's not for you, it's for the rest of you. And all of you just started cheering and crying and celebrating and rejoicing, and they're left without. But to let this sink in of what this must have felt like to the Gentiles for a moment, just imagine this. For thousands of years, the message of salvation has been to and through Israel, to and through the Jews. And it was to and through the Jews so that the Jews would take it to the nations, so that Israel would take it to the nations and proclaim it to the nations. But they didn't do that. Instead of taking the message of how to know God, how to find forgiveness and healing in God's promised Savior, instead of taking that message to the nations, they made rules that have made the nations come into them and become just like them. They put up barriers instead of going out and going, this is for all of us, come to God. And so you've grown up as a Gentile without the hope of salvation being known to you or even being available to you unless you quit everything in your world and become just like these Jews and their laws. And now, Paul goes, but this gospel's for you too. You can know Jesus too. You can know God too. Hope is for you, too. And those who had no hope now receive hope. Those who had no chance have been told there's a chance. Those who wondered, is this only for the Jews, are now told this is for you, too. Listen, if, if you haven't trusted Jesus, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, and you're wondering, is this for me, too? Yes, it is. Most I don't know of any of you in the room that are Jews. To my knowledge, we're all Gentiles. Praise the Lord, let's celebrate this. This moment and this passage is a turning point for you and for me. This passage says, this is for you. It's your gospel to hope in. And if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus and you're so deep in sin and so deep in doubt and so deep in discouragement that you're like, was this really for me? Yes. It is, it was, it always will be. Come to Jesus. Look to him afresh today in faith. It is for you. Verse 48, we'll finish. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. See that? God chose. And as many as he had chosen, as many as it was appointed, they believed. they come to him. No one that God intended to save is left unsaved. What hope for us who proclaim the gospel? As many as were appointed to eternal life believed, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women and the high standing of the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drove them out of the district. So the Jews cannot handle this. They bring in the wealthy. They bring in the powerful. They get the leaders against them, and they strike up persecution and drive them out of the region, out of the district. But what do they do? Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Persecution arises, and instead of standing in the face of the persecution and trying to ram the gospel down the throats of those who refused it, they dust the dust off their feet. They're trusting God's faithfulness. And they turn and they leave, filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What if that was said of us this week? Those people, that Christian, that church, they're filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And the gospel goes on. God is faithful to his own. He was faithful even in the midst of the persecution and the opposition. He was faithful to save those whom he intended to save, and he was faithful to go with his disciples as they fled the persecution to the next place to share. He's faithful to his own. Church, do you believe that he's faithful? Can you see the history of the church and can you look back and go, he is faithful, he has been faithful, he will be faithful. This morning I'm sitting at my desk at my house reviewing this sermon and I just had to push back, I got through and I just had to push back the notes. I had to close the scripture and I just had to sit there and stare in prayer for a moment and just go, God, how have you been faithful to me? I know you've saved me, I, I, I believe the big picture, but specifically, how have you been faithful to me? What did you do to save me? What pieces did you bring together to save me? How have you been faithful to my children? How have you been faithful to my wife? How have you been faithful in my church? How have you been faithful and just start to think and reminisce on multiple areas, and guess what it did? It began to fill my heart with joy. When we remember and we see and we worship him for his faithfulness, our hearts are filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. May that be true of us today. In a moment, we're going to take communion, as we do every week. And when we do, we're going to have two invitations. One, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're going to ask you not to come take this with us. If you've not placed your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, don't come take this. It's just bread and juice for you. Instead, I plead with you to take Jesus. Do not scoff at him today. Trust him. Receive life. But if you are a follower of Jesus, then we invite you to come take. In a moment, you'll stand. You'll exit to your right. You'll come down. You'll receive your bread and your juice. Go back to your seat. Take. We'll conclude with one song. We take this remembering God is faithful, and we take this as a means of his faithfulness. He has given us this every week to spur us on in joy and in the Holy Spirit. So come participate in his faithfulness by taking his body and his blood in remembrance of him. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. You're far more faithful than we could ever imagine or could ever be. So thank you. Remind us of that today in your name. Amen. Church. Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.